morning to introduce our, our speaker. As you're well aware, it is our um, First Steps Parenting Seminar this Sunday and uh, this week and what we have going on. And we're glad to have Wayne and Tammy Roberts here. As Wayne already alluded to, him and I go way back. He was one of my instructors a very long time ago now um, in, in college. And I've always enjoyed our relationship. And over the years, I've, I've, I've grown in, in from him. And he's kind of served as a mentor in many different ways. He's the one that kind of got the ball rolling even here in our own place when it came to our vacation Bible school. Right out of preaching school, I hit him up and said, Wayne, I'm supposed to do a vacation Bible school and I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. And he was the one that gave me a list of some ideas of some potential themes. And from that and that creativity has kind of got the ball rolling here. Um, we've got to work together at Yosemite Bible Camp when he was here working with the, the Rippin Church in the Central Valley. We got to work together with that. Um, he was one of the directors of the Recharge Ministry Conference that we helped support here in this place. And now him and his wife Tammy um, travel all over the place doing workshops for churches to strengthen marriages and to strengthen families. They already did their His Shoes, Her Shoes um, seminar here at our congregation a couple years ago talking about having good, strong godly marriages and they go all over doing that workshop in fact if i understand correctly guys just got back from a cruise right and they did a his shoes her shoes marriage enrichment cruise where not only could you take a cruise you could also hear wayne talk every day so i mean it sounds amazing right but no it was a workshop to strengthen marriages and kind of a getaway retreat for couples there and um and as a companion seminar to the his shoes her shoes they now do one called first steps and that's the one that we're working on today. Um, Him and Tammy are a great example to so many. I know that Zinni and I completely look up to them, especially in regards to how they treat one another. So often church leaders and preachers kind of neglect their homes when it comes to doing the Lord's work. And one thing I've always admired about Wayne and Tammy is their commitment to their marriage, their commitment to their family, and the example that they set for others in that regard. So I'm not going to take any more of his time, but Wayne's topic this morning is leaving a lasting spiritual legacy. So I'm going to turn it over to him. Let's open up our Bibles and study together. Brother Wayne. Class about where was the elaborate introduction. Uh, you're going to be disappointed with whatever follows. I'm not quite that good no, I appreciate it. You know, uh, Cliff doesn't express really because it's kind of it takes a little bit of humility, but he looked at me as a mentor because it used to be that he didn't know anything. I mean, he didn't know about VBS. He didn't know about preaching, didn't know about marriage and family. Now he knows all that stuff. I'm now being mentored by him. You know, we had five kids. He had six kids. I started having grandkids, but nevertheless, I've tried to learn from Cliff. I, we so appreciate he and Zinni, not only uh, for their friendship, but the work they're doing here. And as if that's not doesn't make me jealous enough, then you get to add Nick and Cheyenne to the work here. I'm not sure who I'm happier for, them to be part of such a wonderful, loving family, or for such a loving, wonderful family to have a wonderful, loving family added to them. So I'm certainly glad for you. Um, we're going to, I want you to, to not get too caught up in this idea of the parenting seminar this morning because I know some of you are not yet parents, at least that you know about, right? And uh, some of you have passed the uh, parenting at home kind of thing. And so that idea or that expression of somebody says parents, you go, that doesn't apply to me right now, right? 
So for what I'm thinking is I'd like you to think in terms of parenting from a broader perspective. Not just the literal parenting, father, mother, parenting children, but the opportunity that we have of mentoring others. The opportunity that we have for teaching, training, and leading the generation that follows us. Because really the principles of parenting are the same for those relationships as well. A number of years ago, I became quite interested in the life of the salmon fish. Uh, it is a, it's a fascinating testimony to the design and the presence of a God who created such intricacies. In a nutshell, this is what a salmon's life looks like. Uh, a mother salmon creates a bed of sorts at the bottom of a red. That's spelled R-E-D-D. -D. That's going to be the breeding ground. That's going to be the place that the eggs are laid. And when they hatch, those fish, after uh, being nourished in the red for a time, they make their way downriver, typically into the ocean. And there for maybe a year, maybe for several years, they feed, they mature, they grow, and they develop. And then they move towards their ultimate life purpose. A return to the very pond, the very red in which they were bred to continue that cycle of reproduction. Now most of you don't know or, or not see the picturesque part of that. But it is the trip between that ocean where they grew and that red to which they return in which those salmon swim upstream against the current, propelling themselves, it seems, undaunted up and out of the water as they work their way backwards up that river to the spawning grounds. When they arrive there, they, they create another generation. The mother creates a bed and lays down her eggs and then those uh, mature, those adult, those parent fishes, they die. Their body decomposes and it falls to the bottom of the red and literally the tissue of their body becomes the food for the next generation. The salmon have one purpose and it is not your plate. A salmon has one purpose and that is to fulfill its life purpose of generating the next generation, of leaving a legacy in that next generation. It really is not a lot different than you and I, though we don't really find ourselves perpetuating a generation as our ultimate goal, but we do have a legacy to leave. It is a legacy that will outlive this life. It is a legacy that is not made of physicality, but of spirituality. As Cliff introduced the title, we each have an opportunity to leave a lasting spiritual legacy. For those of us who are parents, it's a lasting spiritual legacy for our children and in hopes of that to perpetuate even to our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and so on. For those of us who have had children and they've maybe grown up and gone out, that we continue to mentor those relationships even after they've moved out. But if not just with them, but we have younger individuals, those who are coming behind us that will represent the next generation. 
It's so sad to me in the world in which we live when I see the generations have such a great divide as seems to be present not only in our world but even in our churches in which the legacy is not going to be passed or it's going to be interrupted or perhaps it is going to be perverted out of ignorance or insolence. We have a great opportunity and dare I say a great responsibility before God to leave a lasting spiritual legacy. As I promised in the Bible class, I wanted to take us from kind of a 30,000 foot view where we talk about the goal and the objective of righteousness for our children, the goal and objective of right living or worthy walking before God for those generations that follow behind us, and kind of zoom down a little bit to maybe a 300 foot view and start talking about the how. How is that journey accomplished? How can we, in fact, leave a lasting spiritual legacy? And I believe that whether you're those who have yet to have children or those that have children that are grown up and have gone out, that there's an important message. And I hope that you'll give me uh, your attention for the next few moments as we consider it. I invite you to open your Bibles to where we were in Bible class, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to kind of jump back and forth, but just simply for the sake of time, I'll ask you to camp there in Deuteronomy chapter 6 along with Israel, and then we're going to make some reference to the Apostle Paul, who speaks to his spiritual children, the church in Thessalonica, at least that's the way he describes them, as he underscores and supports those messages from the Old Testament in the New Testament as well. So it is appropriate for those who are parents in the future, parents in the near future, parents in the past, but mentors in the current, both physically and spiritually, uh, these lessons. Uh, we begin in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in verse 2 and 3. We read this in class, but let me reread it. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land over to possess it so that you and your sons and your grandsons might fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. And then we noted in verse 25, he says, and this will be or shall be righteousness if you do this. The righteousness bestowed upon God to those who are in the right relationship with him, a right relationship that comes, as we talked about, in fearing the Lord and keeping his commandments. And uh, so as he begins to develop this theme, the, it begs the question, okay, but how? Yeah, I know fear God and keep his commandments. And yes, I know we want to do good and we want to be good parents and we want the destination of a right relationship with God for our children. We want to show those that come behind us what it means to walk worthy. In fact, I think we need to consider it in our own life that that needs to be our destination. That we're pleasing to God, we bring glory to his name, that we are walking worthy of those who belong to Jesus Christ. And so look how he puts it then in, in verse 3 as we go back and we begin to see kind of a roadmap. He says that you should listen in verse 3 and that you should hear in verse 4. If you will, the first step on this journey is that you're going to have to learn it yourself. Listen clearly, you cannot teach someone something that you do not know. 
So often I have found parents who say, well, my children don't do this, and my children don't do that. And in some discussion, it comes out quite clearly, part of the reason is the parent never knew it. Oh, they had a desire for them to be righteous, and they wanted them in a right relationship with God, and they certainly wanted them to get to heaven, but the parents alone didn't know the journey to take. Now, I know we're Americans, right? We don't necessarily need to do know what we're going to tell you. We've all got an opinion. But as a professor of mine once put it, he says, opinions are like noses, and everybody has one. And you probably only picked your own, okay? That's just the way that it is. So it is that we need to be those that learn the truth of God. We cannot convey that to the next generation unless we know it. And knowing does not come by some miraculous impartation. It does not come by some spiritual osmosis. It's not just wished into our, into our minds. It's not just felt into our hearts. It is something that is learned as we spend time with the master teacher, God, who shares with us the way to go. If you will, imagine the fact that we all initially are children. And our Father is God, and if we're going to pass on, we have first learned it ourselves. Uh, every time that the brakes on my car need replacing, I get mad at my dad. I know Cliff, man, he, it used to be for a while, he never had a car in one piece. It was always getting remodeled. It was always torn up, and he loved it. I dreaded it. But the reason I got mad at my dad is because my dad taught me how to change the brakes on my car. It was really hard to take it over to the shop and pay somebody 100, 200 bucks to change the brakes on my car when I knew that in a couple of hours I could do it. Now I did it and it was messy and it was dirty and sometimes it was hard work and it seems like every time I'd get there something happened. I have to try to get back to the auto store but the car's all apart there. I hate that particular kind of work. Now, apparently, I'm wealthy or lazy because I don't do it anymore. Have somebody else do it. But my kids are always calling me, and I'm going, why are you calling me now? Well, because you know how to do it, right? We need to be those who learn the legacy before we're ever able to convey it. Secondly, we need to be those that love it. Unfortunately, sometimes we describe faith as our faith, but it's never our faith. We don't really adopt it. It's not the thing that we're passionate about. Knowledge of God becomes our true first love. That it's the thing that's most important. Somebody said that if you want to know what you love the most, find out where you spend your most of your time, where you put the most of your efforts, where the most of your money goes, and you will soon find the thing that you love the most. I'll just ask this, not for a public response, but for individual reflection. What is your first love? Now, I'll just tell you, it's hard for me to say, but I don't want my wife to be my first love. And I don't think she wants me to be her first love. And I love my children, but they can't be my first love. And I love my grandchildren, but they can't be my first love. 
And I love the places that I go and the things that I do and the things that I have. But when those become my first love, then guess what? I've lost my way and therefore I'm not being able. Listen to what God writes through Moses' pen. Deuteronomy 6 again, verses 5 and 6. And you shall love the Lord your God, not as a casual pastime, not as just an occasional endeavor. Listen, with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. I think sometimes we think about those being the commandments of God that should be on your heart, and they should. But he says, this is the commandment that should be on your heart. That you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. And for this reason, we constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God excuse me, the word of God's message, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. This idea of accepting it didn't just mean you heard it. You listened as we talked. You were constantly craving it. You were readily receiving it. You wanted to open your mind and open your heart. And instead of going, man, we're almost out of time. When's he going to be done? It was, is there any way we can stop the clock? Not too long ago, I was preaching in Denver, Colorado, at a church that was predominantly black. And they were so encouraging vocally to my sermon. I thought I was the greatest preacher there was on that day. And I am moving to the conclusion of my prepared material and one of the brethren gets up and brings a water bottle to me. And he says, as he puts it down, he goes, preach it. I'm looking here. Do I got something else in the book to preach, right? He gets, about that time, I start moseying in towards the conclusion again and one of the sweet sisters yells out, keep on, brother. Oh boy, I'm really sweating it now. I'm stretching out the stories. I'm reading the whole passage of scripture. I'm doing everything I can. And then somebody goes, amen. I finally said, okay, I just need you to know right now. Every time you encourage me by bringing me water, saying, preach it, keep it up, amen. It's adding 15 minutes and we got food waiting. To which three people said, amen. And we just kept going. They were loving the truth. They wanted to hear. It was not an obligation. It was not like they were standing before the school marm, her waving a, a yardstick at all of them. They were sitting there going, feed us, feed us, feed us. You have to not just learn the facts and figures of scripture. It has to be that which you adore. Because if you have not really thought about it or put two and two together... The words that you read are not just the wisdom of man. They're not just the Bible, as we call it. These are the very testimonies of the creator of the universe revealed for you. There is no more precious gift save the person of Jesus Christ that has ever been given to mankind. We must love these things. However, it's not enough to learn it and to love it. you got to live it. Again, back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 3, he says, 
not just about listening. He says, be careful to do. The things that you read and the things that you love, he says, be careful that you do them. Again, back to Paul as a spiritual parent to Thess- the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he says in verse 6, you became imitators of us and the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place, now listen carefully, your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. You understand what he, the impact there? He says that they had learned it, they had received it, they had made application of it, they were living it out to the point that those in the surrounding region knew of their lifestyle and that it became an example for them so that when they, the apostles came and preached it, they said, oh, we're already doing that. We're already doing it because they in Thessalonica are doing it and that's what we've been following. He says, we didn't even have any you know, little jots and tittles to clear up. What if the next generation was to be an exact representation of your spiritual walk? What if their knowledge and understanding of Scripture imitated yours to a T? Would you be pleased with the next generation? What if the next generation's service was representative of exactly the kind of service that you render to God? What if your attendance was to be the meter by which every generation would follow? What if your love What if your evangelism, what if your giving, what if your benevolence, what if you became the model of all the generations? Would there be hope or hopelessness for the future? Because it's not just enough to know it academically. In fact, it's not even enough to say it means a great deal to me if it never manifests itself in a life. It has to be that which we live If we want the next generation to learn it and to love it, then we're going to have to live it. It is unreasonable. In fact, it's downright unfair for us to expect the next generation to live better than we're willing to live ourselves. And sometimes, and I get to say that because I'm almost, I get to say this because I'm almost 60. Yes, people live till 60 years old. I can tell you this, that sometimes I look at those who are younger than me and I see that I am displeased in their behavior and I said, oh, it may very well be that it's because they're following me. That they're looking like I look or they're looking like my generation look or they're looking like the church of today and we're mad because we want them to be the church of tomorrow And all they're going to do is drag the baggage of today along with them. We have to be those who are living it the way that we know it. We learn it. We love it. We live it. And then we're going to have to simply put, lead them to it. Again, back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 7 reads, and you shall teach it. Literally, it means to repeat it over and over and over. You shall teach them diligently that is, these precepts, 
to your sons and you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up and when you bind them as a sign on the hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. Now, I don't know if you get this, but this is God's way of saying you need to not say it once, you need to say it a thousand times. It needs to be the words of your lips when you get up in the morning. It needs to be the last words that you're telling your children as you go to bed. It needs to be that which you talk about when you eat and that which you, when you play and that which you walk about. You need to be constantly teaching your children these things. It's not going to happen. In fact, he's so, he is so, um, so em- emphasizes this diligence that he gives this picture that would be manifested in Israel in a real physical act. They would take passages of God's word, commandments of God, and they would inscribe them on on, uh, their particular paper, papyrus, whatever it was, was their writing material, and they would fold that up and they would put them in these little leather pouches called phylacteries. And what they would do is they would tie that sometimes around their head with that little box leather box of scripture on their forehead metaphorically to say I am keeping the word of God close to my mind and that sometimes they would take those and they would put them around their arm or around their leg in fact one commentator said that by the time of Jesus the Pharisees became so obsessed with this practice that some of them would have so many leather boxes leather pouches tied around their body they almost couldn't move somewhere along the way they kind of lost the point god says though that word the word that i'm commending to you that legacy that you're to pass on it needs to be constantly present in fact may i caution us getting too possessive of the faith you know we sing that song faith of our fathers And certainly we want to recognize that we as spiritual parents are bestowing upon the next generation the faith that has been bestowed. But you know what? It's not our faith. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God and he has given it to us as stewards to pass it on. So often I fear that we hold it as if we were a marathon runner that we run up to hand off the baton but we just kind of don't want to let it go. We're going to go, are you going to carry it the exact same way we carried it? Are you going to do it exactly the way we do it? I mean, are you going to still meet at 9 9.45 on Sunday mornings like we do it? Well, guess what? You're going to pass the baton one day. You're either going to do it willingly or it's going to be pried out of your cold, dead hand. The question is, what's better? Is it not better to mentor Is it not better to truly lead the next generation, not drag them? Often I see in churches that there are those that say, you know what we want? We really want young people in our churches. We just want them to not be seen or heard. We just want to tell everybody we got a lot of young families in our group. Because they got messy lives and they want to do things sometimes different. I'm not talking about different than the purity of the truth. But I'm talking about those that I just don't like when we... That's my seat that they're setting in, right? I don't know whose seat Tammy and I are in. I think they left and went on to breakfast. But I'll apologize to them. Listen, again, Paul writes 
1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved towards you, the believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We're going to have to lead them to it. I do always think about one commentator talking about preaching. He says, well, you know, you can lead them to water, but you can't make them drink. And a wise old preacher responded, no, but we can sure make them thirsty, right? We can sure make them want the very thing that we have. Finally, as our time is about to expire, after we have learned it and after we have loved it and after we have lived it and after we have led them to it, we're going to have to do the thing that is the most difficult to do, I think, and that's to leave it with them more appropriately and leave it to God to finish his good work in them. No one wants to let go of their children. It is hard to let go of the things that we've been doing but you know, when I think and reflect back on the salmon, the salmon at some point fulfills its life mission and it dies. But what it leaves is a legacy as its body dissolves to be the fertile bed for the next generation, that that's what we do. That we're leaving a legacy that can be seen, that can be followed, that can be appreciated, that can be loved as we have preserved it clearly. Let me just tell you, the things that you have right now, they're not going to last. Your houses will not last. Your jobs won't last. Your cars won't last. Your monies won't last. In fact, I got news for you. Your marriage isn't going to last beyond this life. Be careful where you put all of your attention. It is only righteousness that will carry you from this life into the next life. And it is only righteousness that will make this life rewarding as well as the next life. And therefore, it is deserving of our attention. For concluding words, the words of Paul, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. You see, this has all been about a relationship with God. Whether we call it righteousness, that kind of Old Testament big Bible word, or we simply uh, simplify it to Paul's words or maybe a vernacular uh, that we are familiar with, to walk worthy before God, to be right living with God, it's ultimately that we are to be the family of God, that we are to regenerate a family beyond us, that is a family that belongs to God, that this whole thing about legacy is about a spiritual relationship with the Father through heaven. And as Paul the Apostle makes it, it is only obtainable not by simply our working, but by the work of Jesus Christ, that through his sacrifice, through his shed blood, the sin that has broke the relationship can be removed, therefore reconciling us. 
that by our obedience to his instruction, that which may seem for some as ridiculous or mundane, to be immersed in water for the remission of sins, if you will, saying, God, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do because I know you're going to do what you promised to do if I'll do what you asked me to do. It's not some formulaic thing. It's not some man-made work. It simply is a response to God to say, I want your righteousness bestowed upon me. And he says, I'll do so through the blood of Jesus Christ when you do this. And we said, well, then I want to do that. It is why it is more than custom or habit that our sermons end with some sort of an invitation because our life is to be an invitation, an invitation to be part of God's family, to be and have bestowed upon you the spiritual legacy, not just our spiritual legacy, not just the generation before us, but the spiritual legacy that God himself through his word and through his son Jesus Christ bestowed to us that is our purpose. Whether it is as parents, whether it is as teachers, evangelists, mentors, shepherds, friends. To take that precious legacy that God has given to us and to extend it to another generation. And in that, God is well pleased. And so this morning, I'm hoping that you have considered your parenting wherever, whatever kind of parenting that is, and are you truly those who are learning it and loving it and living it and leading others to it and then letting God do his work in them? If you're those that have yet to be part of God's family, that you'll say, okay, wait a minute, I want to know more. Or maybe you know enough to say, I'm ready to take that step to become part of God's family. Maybe it is that in reflection you find that you're deficient in one or more of these and want that to change today. If that's the case, we want to give you an opportunity, if you're comfortable with it, to respond publicly. If you're not comfortable responding publicly, grab myself or Cliff or one of the shepherds or for that matter, one of the other members and say, I need to know more. I'm ready to do more. We'd be more than happy to help you. If a public response is appropriate, though, we'll give you an opportunity now simply by coming forward as we stand and Greg leads us in song. I heard a